It's day 20 of the Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Well, we are full steam ahead, rolling on with the life of Abraham actually coming to the end of his life in today's reading. But before we get into it, if you would like to partner with us in any way, if this is a part of your life, we would love it if you could help us out by giving back and giving this video a thumbs up, hitting that like button, making sure you're subscribed to the channel or the podcast, and also hitting that notification bell so that YouTube can notify you whenever each video comes out every single day. Thank you so much for your patience in waiting for this particular day. As you know, I take Saturday off, and so here we are on Sunday, two videos coming out today, and I appreciate your patience. I've got a wrestling tournament to go to, so I'm hoping that I'll be able to at least get one out before we get there. So let's go ahead and pray and prepare our hearts before we get into the Word. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is what our hearts seek out today, your good and perfect will for our lives. Lord, we don't want to rush through this today, so I just pray for peace. I pray that you will give us contentment, and I pray for accuracy today as we read your word. As we open it up, Lord, will you also open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to be able to see you, to hear you, to recognize your face and your heartbeat in every word that we read. Forgive us of our sins, Lord, where we may have grieved your heart, where we may have hurt someone else, where we may have crossed over the line or stopped short, and also help us to set ourselves free by forgiving others, because we know that when we don't, Lord, it only allows for bitterness and anxiety to well up within us. And so I pray for reconciliation in relationships today, Lord, and whatever it is that needs to be fixed, will you bring in your healing power to do so? Please don't lead us into temptation today. Keep us from evil, Lord. Keep the evil one far from us. And I just pray that we will bring you glory in all that we do. We love you so much. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're starting off here in chapter 25. Abraham took another wife. So remember that Abraham's wife, Sarah, has previously passed on. So this would have been okay for him to go and take another wife. But this is more like a concubine whose name was Keturah, and her name means incense. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Latushim, and Lumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida and Eldea. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. So this was typical for the legal firstborn to generally receive the grand share of the father's fortune. But to the sons of his concubines, which are Hagar and Keturah at this point, Abraham gave gifts. So he didn't leave them high and dry. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son, Isaac, eastward to the east country. Why did he send them away? Probably so that there wouldn't be any contention that would arise because of the lesser gifts, I guess, that have been given to the sons of the concubines. And this is how we formulate that Keturah was more like a concubine because of the fact that it says that it is plural here. We know that Hagar was his first. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. So this was promised that he would live a long life. And this gathering to his people indicates either being buried with his kinsmen or it points to the afterlife. 
Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah. So this goes to show that Isaac and Ishmael did come back together. Sadly, it took a death of their father to make them come back together, but they did. In the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. So remember, this was the cave that he purchased for her burial. And after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. Beer Lahai Roy, remember, means the well of the one who lives and sees me. And remember, this was the well that God appeared to Hagar. So God is continuing his promise through Abraham's son, Isaac. These are the generations of Ishmael. Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. So this would be kind of like the lesser line of Abraham. And these are the children who would make up the base of Islam. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Abdiel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tima, Jeter, Naphish, and Kedema. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their, their names by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes, as promised, remember, according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, so he lived a pretty long life as well. He breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria, and he settled over again against all his kinsmen. So notice the word that was used here for his his death. It was settled. Abraham died a very full life. This was a lesser life that he lived. So the life that you live would also contribute to the kind of death that you die. So a little less honorable than Abraham's. Now, this land that was given to Ishmael, take note that it is actually a very large area. So he was still very blessed. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. So this is the blessed son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Now, I think it is really powerful to see that despite having such an amazing promise on his life, Isaac still passionately prayed and pleaded with the Lord for the promise to remain true. And we've talked a lot about holding on to the promise. So, heart check. Do you also hold on to the power of prayer, even when you possess the promise? So it seems as though prayer was his first resort, and the Lord granted his prayer. So this was the fulfillment of the promise 20 years later, by the way, that was spoken in Genesis chapter 25, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, the children struggled together within her, so they're already competing within the womb. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So, she went to inquire of the Lord. So, she too is now praying, particularly about the struggle that is happening within her. And just as these two sons are struggling within her, we too have a constant struggle within us between the flesh and the spirit. You See, when we're born again, our spirit is regenerated. We are made new, but we still have old tendencies. We still have old habits, old mindsets, old trauma that is still in our memory. And it always comes up rearing its ugly head. And that's why Paul talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind, because those things still remain and we have to take authority over it. So heart check. Are you aware of the internal struggle you have within? And are you able to identify the opponents? And so while this is a promise that they would have these children, 
It didn't come easy for them. They still had to pray. Why does God do that? Because He wants communion. He wants fellowship with us. And so if it's going to take a little bit of a struggle for us to turn around and be like, oh, I need the Lord to help me out with this, that's what He might do in order to get that attention to be able to commune with us and have that relationship with us. Now, I am not saying that He is going to strike you down with horrible situations just so you can pray. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes that will be the case where He will need to kind of push a little bit to remind you that he is still there and he is still for you. Verse 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older one shall serve the younger. So here we see that the theme of two sons here in Genesis, of course, starting off with Cain and Abel, and now we see these two sons, and the older will serve the younger will be a reoccurrence that we see as a theme throughout the Bible. So this just shows God's sovereignty that even though the legal firstborn would have been the one to receive that birthright, to receive that double portion, oftentimes he will reverse that for his greater purpose. Now, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb and twins in this day would have been declared a special blessing upon a woman. And the first came out red, all his body, like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau, which sounds a lot like the word hairy in Hebrew. And this red color will actually be very symbolic. Esau not only being ruddy, but he will also want to eat the red lentil stew. And this could be symbolic of the dust, the red dust from which Adam was formed. And he will also be cast off to the red land of Edom. So afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, Jacob meaning heel snatcher. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Now, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. So very similar to the character of Cain and Abel. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And it shows that Isaac loved Esau because of what he brought to him, whereas Rebekah just simply loved Jacob. There was no work attached to it. And here we see the beginning of parental favoritism and the effects that it can have on a family. And if we look at these two brothers as a representation of the spirit being Jacob, Esau representing the flesh, well, the flesh is what we're born into first, and it is always at war with our spirit. And the flesh will always try to work for acceptance. That is where the law was formed. It was always works in order to be saved. But the spirit, and by the death of Jesus and what he has done, we are simply loved and we are accepted and we are forgiven because of what he has already done. It is because God is love that we are loved the same way that Rebecca simply loved Jacob. Now, once Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew. There's that color red for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which sounds like the Hebrew word for red. Now, Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. What is this birthright? Well, that birthright was that double portion that the firstborn would receive of the family estate. And with it would also come spiritual leadership. There would be financial responsibility to take care of the family. Jacob is now conniving his way to be able to get this birthright that he, he did not rightfully earn. Esau had it by right, but because Esau is hungering more in his flesh, he is now willing to give it up 
for the sake of a momentary pleasure. And our birthright, if we look at it, is the spiritual blessing we receive whenever we receive Jesus, the adoption into God's family, full acceptance, forgiveness, and grace. We receive divine revelation, eternal inheritance, and also the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So Jacob is trying to buy what was already rightfully his, because remember, it had already been spoken that he would be the one who would receive this inheritance and Esau would be the one to serve him. Now, I don't know if he actually knows that this blessing is upon his life at this point, but he's scheming nevertheless. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Now, a word spoken back in the day would be really hard to retract. So this was pretty much set in stone. It was a binding oath. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and he drank and he rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. This word despise means he had utter contempt. And we too can despise our birthright whenever we trade it in for that momentary pleasure of sin or even that selfish gain that we are trying to seek out. So this whole situation happened because somebody was hungry and Esau wanted to satisfy his stomach while Jacob wanted to feed his future. So the problem is that he didn't identify the opponents within himself, and therefore he was short-sighted in recognizing the effect that his temporary hunger and impulsive decision would have in the long term. And he fed his flesh rather than his spirit. So that is where it is so important to be able to recognize the opponents within us. So heart check, are your hunger pangs from the flesh or from the spirit? And are you force feeding this desire through impulse or patiently feeding the spirit as you wait for the promise? Chapter 26. Now there was famine in the land beside the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. So very similar to the story that we saw in chapter 20, where Abraham had famine and he went down to Egypt. And this Gerar is Philistine territory that is right on the border of Egypt. By the way, Philistines were said to be Greeks who migrated east. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Now, we can sometimes experience our own famine, where reading the Bible begins to feel a little bit dry, it's not as exciting anymore, and then we'll stop coming to Bible study and instead go back to Egypt. Or maybe our flesh longs for a drink of the old life, or perhaps your patience wears thin, and then an old attitude comes bursting through. Some of us will even hang out right on the border in our own gear seeing how close we can get to the fire without being burned. And Holy Spirit will be right there saying, don't go there. And it's in that moment where we will have to make a decision if we are going to do things our way or do it God's way. And this will be one of those moments where you will have to decide if you truly want to change or not. So heart check. Is there anything in your life where the Lord is telling you, don't go there? So he continues, sojourn in this land and I will be with you and will bless you for to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. So he is reestablishing that promise onto the life of Isaac. And I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, even though Abraham faltered in his faith, God is still crediting 
to him what he did right, which gives me some hope. So, not only do we see that God will warn us, but he's also promising his presence, that he will bless us, that he is the giver of those promises, and he will keep those promises if we are walking with him. So Isaac settled in Gerar. Why? Because it had better farmlands than in the Negev. And when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. Oh boy, here we go again. But this time it's a full lie. It's not even a half truth. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. Now, when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, this likely a different Abimelech, by the way, because Abimelech, if you remember me saying before, is more like a title. It's not a name of a person. Looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebecca, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she's your wife. How then could you say that she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, It's just because I thought, lest I die because of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So thankfully, Isaac doesn't really make any excuses. He just simply confesses, and therefore Abimelech has grace and mercy upon him. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now, again, if this story sounds familiar, it's because it is Isaac following in his father's footsteps, ending up in the same exact place, telling the same exact lie that his wife was his sister. Now, some would read this and say, well, that's a generational curse, but I don't believe that that is what the Bible is teaching here. This is simply a child walking in the footsteps of his parents. And this won't always happen. And I know and have seen firsthand that God graciously can lead children away from generational habits. But as parents, we have a tremendous responsibility in the paths that we pave for our kids. So heart check, what footprints are you leaving for your children? Now, this question is not intended to condemn anybody or make anyone feel guilty at all. It really is just an opportunity to look at your footprints and decide if a change of direction is necessary, or maybe even looking at where the footprints went off course and then going back to do some road work. And especially for those who have adult children, it is never too late to mend what may have been broken. And I just wanted to be able to encourage you in that because I know some people will read things like this and just feel so defeated, like they have failed. But just know that with God, nothing is unfixable. Verse 12, and Isaac sowed in the land. So not only did he have his father's favor, but he's also a hard worker and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possession of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Uh Uh-oh, anytime wealth comes into the picture, envy will also rear its ugly head. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servant had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. So here we are seeing the broken covenant that Abraham made with Abimelech in the past in chapter 21. And any time that we become successful, just know the enemy is going to be right there trying to dig up dirt to stop the flow of what God is doing in your life. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again, 
the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servant dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water or flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek because Esek actually means tension because they contended with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna, meaning opposition or also related to the name Satan. And he moved from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, which means roominess, saying, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Now, this is a pretty typical picture of what will happen to us in our own spiritual life, right? Like we will be in the valley or the pits of life, not knowing how in the world we are going to get up that hill that is in front of us. And just at the right moment, it's like Eureka, we find water, the living water comes and it refreshes us. The Holy Spirit then lifts us up only to be met by another obstacle, right? But this is, again, another point where we can make a decision on whether or not we're going to just sit there in our pity party, or if we're going to try to fight the enemy, the wrong battle, instead of just keep digging. What does digging look like for us? Well, that is continuing to seek water, keep digging into the word because this is our living water. This is our life source. And if we throw this off to the side, we will be out there digging up dirt and then never finding true satisfaction. This is the well that never runs dry. So heart check, are you experiencing a season of dryness? Well, don't give up if you are. Keep on digging because God is preparing you for the place where He is bringing you to. But He will also use your testimony to affect others around you. And it's amazing that someone commented, someone who had watched last year's video on this particular day, which was yesterday. One year ago, I experienced one of the most terrifying things as a parent. I came face to face with the worst of the evil. And trust me, the enemy wanted me to quit. I did not want to move forward in what I was doing out of fear for what it might do to my family. But the Holy Spirit sustained me and I continued digging. I continued pressing in. I continued and finished out the call that God had on my life last year. And look where we're at today. The water is flowing. The wells have been dug. God is faithful and he will be faithful to you as well. Verse 23, from there he went up to Beersheba. So this would have been his childhood home. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So the fact that he's telling him to fear not shows that he did have some sort of fear. So again, God repeating the Abrahamic covenant. So he built an altar there. So an altar of worship and called upon the name of the Lord. So proclaiming God's name publicly and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servant dug a well. So here we see him acting out of the character of his father, doing the same things that his father did once again, but this time in a more positive light. Now, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar, with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, probably as witnesses, 
Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So remember when I said that when you keep digging, when you keep that faith alive, it will affect those around you. We see it happening here. Even the enemy recognizes God's presence in his life. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. So here he is trying to form a parity treaty once again, which is the two equals on each side, forming a covenant that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and you have done and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast. So here he is memorializing this covenant. So notice that he's not returning evil for evil. He is actually doing good. And they ate and they drank. Now in the morning, they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. Or this word is shalom. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we have found water, called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. So Sheba is a wordplay on the word seven or swear. So this would have been called the well of the oath or even the seventh well. So again, we see the blessing upon their lives here. Now, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah because they were pagan wives, obviously did not worship the same God. And Judith's name means praise. And I don't know what will happen, but we will not see her listed in chapter 36. And Basimath means fragrant. So while these are positive names, maybe because of the way that they were with Esau, we see that they bring bitterness for his parents. And that is the way sin is for the person committing it at the time they have that pleasure, but it will affect other people in a negative way who are around them. So let's dig in a little bit deeper with some questions. Do you think God's early blessing on Jacob and Esau affected Rebecca's attitude toward her sons? How does parental favoritism affect families? Would you take advantage of someone's momentary weakness the way that Jacob did? What are your thoughts on the impact that our decisions can make on future generations? What character traits of Isaac stand out the most to you, and how can they be applied to your life? So Heavenly Father, what a faithful God you are. Whether we are in seasons of drought or in seasons of prosperity, your faithfulness remains and sustains us when ours begins to wither. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we may have despised our birthright and failed to recognize the new life full of abundance and peace that we have been given at Calvary, where we have sought after other things to bring us satisfaction, or where we may have been striving in vain for our own self-glory, where we have fattened up our flesh. I pray, God, that you will give us the discipline to go on a spiritual diet. Help us to feast on the word and to nourish our spirits with the living water. Help us to see and understand that your promise on our lives is the best path that we could take. We are so grateful for the spiritual blessing that you have given to us, Jesus, to be called sons and daughters of the Most High, to be fully accepted and forgiven for that abundance of grace and divine revelation and for our eternal inheritance, but especially for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that guides us to that place. What an incredible gift it is. So for that, we thank you. And I pray, Lord, that we will be a people who honor our parents regardless of the relationship that we may have with them. Help us to honor them for simply giving us life. 
where there has been abuse or brokenness, I pray that there will be forgiveness and reconciliation so that there is nothing that holds anyone captive. And for those who feel that they may have failed as a parent, Lord, I pray for freedom from that condemnation. If there's an opportunity to make something right or to begin a new set of footprints, lead us in that way, Lord. And whenever we face opposition or where we may be struggling, help us to keep digging, especially into the Word, for it is here where we know that we will find the source of life. This is where we will be able to receive our strength whenever we feel we don't have the strength to endure. Thank you, Lord, for sustaining us thus far. May your peace that surpasses all understanding cover every single person today. We love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short, and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because He loves us, and He wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing, and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die. But I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer and I'm going to put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're going to say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.